This is Radio 3. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday, the 22nd of September. It's Fed Day once again. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the morning's business and finance updates. The Federal Reserve has raised US interest rates by 75 basis points and signaled that there are more rate hikes to come. It's the third consecutive three-quarter percentage point move and takes the federal fund rates up to a range of 3% to 3.25%. That's the highest since early 2008. In the so-called dot plot of FOMC members' expectations of where interest rates will be in the future, policymakers anticipate they will keep hiking until the fund's rate reaches 4.4% by the end of this year and hits a terminal rate of 4.6% next year. They will then remain at that level until 2024, according to the forecasts. The value of the US dollar has surged after Russian President Vladimir Putin threatened to escalate the conflict in Ukraine even further by holding referendums on annexation in occupied regions that its forces still control. Yesterday, President Putin announced a partial mobilization in Russia with some citizens who are currently in the reserve subject to conscription. In a televised address, he said, we will certainly use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. Western leaders and analysts took that as a threat to use nuclear weapons. The European Union Chamber of Commerce in China said on Wednesday in a new report that recent Chinese policy decisions mean the country is now seen as less predictable, less reliable and less efficient. The president of the chamber, Jörg Rutzka, said ideology trumps the economy and he cited as examples China's zero-Covid policy, the crackdown on the tech sector and power shortages driven by prioritising emissions control over economic activity. And the Asian Development Bank has cut its 2022 growth forecast for developing Asia, citing China's lockdowns, the war in Ukraine and rising global inflation. The multilateral lender now expects growth in the region to be just 4.3% compared to 5.2% forecast previously. And it also downgraded its forecast for 2023 to 4.9%, down from 5.3%. The bank cut its forecast for growth in China this year from the previous forecast of 5% to just 3.3%. And the report noted that it's the first time in three decades that China will grow at a slower rate than the rest of emerging Asia. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Nick Marrow from the Economist Intelligence Unit. With a view from Taiwan, it's Ross Feingold at SafePro Group. Money Talk on Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, U.S. stocks seesawed wildly following the rate increase and bond yields surged. The S&P 500 swung in a wide range with gains of 1.3% at the high of the day before come tumbling to close at the low of the day, down 1.7% at 3,790. That takes its losses for the year to 20.5%. The Dow surrendered gains of over 300 points to close 522 points lower at 30,184. The Nasdaq Composite Index dropped 1.8% to 11,220, increasing its 2022 losses to over 28%. 
In European markets, which closed before the Fed rates decision was announced, the region-wide Stock 600 index added 0.9%. London's FTSE 100 was up 0.6%. Hong Kong stocks tumbled to a new six-month low ahead of the Federal Reserve rate decision. The Hang Seng Index dropped 337 points, or 1.8%, to 18,445. And the latest fall takes the decline in the benchmark index for the month of September so far to 7.6% and for the year to date to over 21%. The tech index slumped 3%. Shares of Tencent weakened 2.5% to a four-year low of 286 Hong Kong dollars. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index shed 3.3% with all 10 members closing lower after HSBC CEO Noel Quinn said the bear market in Chinese property had at least another two years to run. And Hong Kong listed shares of Tencent Music Entertainment ticked higher after its debut in the city. It closed at $18.22, up from its issue price of 17 Hong Kong dollars and 98 cents. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was off 0.2% at 3,117, bringing its losses for the year so far to over 14%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1% lower at $89.83 a barrel. Gold rose slightly to $1,666 an ounce. The yield on the interest rate-sensitive two-year Treasury note soared nine basis points to 4.06%. That's close to a 15-year high. The yield on the 10-year Treasury bond rose to a high of 3.64%. That's its highest level since February 2011, before slipping back to settle at 3.53%. And the yield curve between the 2 to 10 year note hit minus 52 basis points intraday. That's very close to its most inverted since 1982. And in the currency markets, the US dollar has hit a new 20 year high. The US dollar index, which measures the US dollar's value against a basket of six major currencies, jumped 1% to the highest level since 2002. The euro fell 1.2% against the dollar to 98 and a third cents. That's its weakest level since September the 7th. The British pound hit its lowest level against the dollar since March 1985. It's down 1% at $1.12.5 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 83 cents. The Japanese yen is at 144.32 versus the dollar and the Chinese yuan has broken through 7.07 against the dollar. Offshore yuan is trading at 7.07 and three quarters this morning. That's a new two-year low. Bitcoin is down almost 3% at 18,500. Around Asia stock, uh, stock, stock markets this morning. First of all, Australia is closed for a public holiday. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.8%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea down 1%. Futures markets pointing to a decline of 350 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times eight ten and a half. We do have a lot to discuss this morning, so let's go to our guests. We have with us, as always, on a Thursday morning, personal wealth advisor Enzio from Farm. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And joining him in the studio over in Queensway is Nick Marrow, lead for global trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Morning to you, Nick. Good morning. Um, the Federal Reserve, as we heard earlier, it's raised interest rates by seventy-five basis points, and maybe more importantly, signal that there are more rate hikes to come. 
It's the third consecutive three-quarter percentage point move. Takes the Fed funds rate up to a range of 3% to 3.25%. That's the highest now since early 2008. And policymakers indicated more rate rate rises are on the way in the battle to bring down inflation in the so-called dot plot of FOMC members' expectations of where interest rates will be in the future. Policymakers anticipate they will keep hiking until the Fed fund rate reaches 4.4% by the end of this year and then we'll hit a terminal rate of 4.6% in 2023 and then they're going to remain at that level until 2024. However, six of the 19 members on the Monetary Policy Committee were in favour of taking rates even higher to a range of four and three quarter percent to five percent next year before they start to come down in 2024. Um, NCO, first of all, let me get your overall thoughts on that and also ask you um, 75 basis points. Is that now the new normal for rate hikes? I think so, but it's. I'm going to start with a, a sociologist called Maslow. It is tempting, if the only tool you have is a hammer, to treat everything else as if it were a nail. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that the Fed is so obsessed with fighting demand pull inflation that it is. It doesn't have the tools or the the um, intellectual capacity to look at cost push inflation. What to do about it? So. The result of this is that Xi's COVID is going to be Powell's CPI. In other words, both will be killing the economies. Well, let let me ask you a bit more about that, because the the Federal Reserve, the FOMC, there are some very smart economists on this, aren't there? Very, very qualified economists maybe some of the best qualified in the world. So I think it's yes. fair to say they're not stupid. No, no. So they must know this. They must yes. see that they can't bring down the price of oil. Uh, they can't solve uh, supply chain problems, grow more wheat. So they n- must know that. So why are they doing this? Why are they keep the absolutely determined to raise interest rates until uh, inflation comes back down to 2%? I'm afraid it's, it's something in, in corporate tease called herd immunity, intellectual herd immunity. I think that because everybody else is thinking along these lines, then I should too type thing. The only person who actually is barked against this and who's raised supply side issues, in my reading at least, is Janet Yellen. Of course, she's at the Treasury now, but I don't get any Fed members, at least whom I've read of, who've been talking about supply side inflation, even if they're totally cognizant of it, as you say. Mm. Nick, what what are your thoughts on on this? I suppose we're now at the stage, aren't we, where we're going above what they call the neutral rate, which is designed not to stimulate the economy or hold it back. We're now coming into restrictive territory, or we certainly will uh, with the next few rate hikes. Yeah, that's right. And then just to provide some context for listeners, I think the neutral rate is mostly assumed to be around like 2.5%. So we are going much higher than, um, you know, where where we would assume to be if we're looking at that parameter. Um, I think when we look at a lot of the anxiety that we're seeing today as a result of the fallout of the Fed's, um, you know, uh, announcement, it's it's because markets, I think we're expecting the 75 point hike, um, but they were also expecting at least a bit of, you know, signals of moderation through the remainder of this year and maybe into 2023. And not happening, is it? Exactly. Not they're not happening. No. And so when we discuss, you know, what are the ramifications of, of this? Mm. Like, can the Fed engineer a soft landing? I think people were kind of, you know, cautiously optimistic about that up until last night. <laughs> and then now, I mean, maybe all bets are off. Um, I mean, for, for example, we're going to have to redo our forecasts. And I mean, to, to what you were just saying in terms of, you know, how we're very smart people being able to do this. All I can say is 
forecasting is very hard, um, speaking as a forecaster. And if we think about where we were around this time last year, the discussion was around how inflation would be transitory. And that's mm. definitely not happened. So, But even Jerome Powell now doesn't seem confident anymore that he can avoid a recession, did he? He said um, Quite. no one knows whether this process is going to re- uh, yeah. lead to a recession, but he said the chances of a soft landing are likely to diminish. Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's interesting because there's been such a focus on, you know, reining in inflation. And to what Enzio said in terms of the structural, you know, constraints or structural kind of drivers of inflation, um, the Fed doesn't necessarily have all the policy tools they're needed to fully address everything that's affecting the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we look at how high the inflation prints have been in the U.S., it's a great illustration of the fact that it's taking a lot of time for policy to feed into the economy. And so the big risk now is is six months from now, the inflationary picture is going to be very, very different. But does that justify um, these very near-term policy mm. decisions, which are going to have consequences a year from now? So, I, I suppose the big change, wasn't it? Because the 75 basis points was expected by the markets. So that's mm. no surprise. What markets were looking at and really didn't like um, is the big change in the dot plot, uh, which basically makes it very clear the rates are going higher, quite considerably higher, and they're going to stay there um, a lot longer than economists had been forecasting. So the markets had been assuming, you know, we go up to maybe uh, 4% and then start, uh, excuse, excuse me, seeing cuts next year. But that's not going to happen, is it? Well, that leads into my stagflation thesis yet again, that we have the weak growth and the strong inflation, which I still think is going to be stronger, as they say, 4.6, let's not digit bash here, but it's it's still going to be somewhat higher next year than this year. I also just want to add one point to Nick's good points, which is, of course, let's not forget that that the Fed, that the Treasury has also been shrinking the balance sheet. And that's going to cause huge, back to your old wicket of of bond trading, Peter, that's going to cause huge liquidity problems in the bond market because if the Fed is getting, is is giving bonds back and buying Mm. and and thus getting the cash out of the market, that then is going to force a liquidity squeeze in the the U.S. government treasury bond market, which is a real danger that's that's perhaps not discussed yet as much. So they're they're going to... um basically let $95 billion a month in bonds mature and just roll off uh, the balance sheet. That's so it. That's an additional uh, tightening that, yes. uh, that's going on. Well, let me ask you about what Nouriel Roubini said uh, earlier this week. And uh, he's known as Dr. Doom, but he did correctly predict the, uh, the 2008 financial crisis. He said, this is not going to be a short and shallow recession. Mm. It's going to be severe, long and ugly. He said those expecting a shallow U.S. recession should be looking at the large debt ratios of corporations and governments. He said achieving a 2% inflation rate without a hard landing would be mission impossible for the Federal Reserve. From what you were saying, Enzio, you seem to be agreeing with that, certainly on the stagflation front anyway. Yes, I think that the the chickens will come home to roost on, on the debt front also, and particularly the excess demand for money in terms of my economic clock that the Fed wishes to create is going to be exacerbated by the Treasury withdrawing that $95 billion worth of cash, which I suspect in the greater scheme of things isn't a whole lot, but within the Treasury market, I'm, I'm referring to you, Peter, really, um, within the Treasury bond market could be quite a bit at the margin for, in terms of a liquidity squeeze, I would guess. What do you uh, think? I think so. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, this is know, a yeah. significant amount of uh, what they call quantitative tightening, which has um, got to be taken into account on top of these rate rises. 
Nick, let me ask you about the Fed's forecasts. Um, they see GDP slowing now to just 0.2% this year. They were predicting 1.7% growth in June. And then they see GDP rising again, 1.8% in subsequent years. Headline inflation, uh, which is currently at 4%, uh, sorry, currently at 6.3%, is expected to come down to 5.4% this year and then fall further and hit the Fed's goal of 2% in 2025. And unemployment is expected to rise from the current 3.7% to 4.4% by next year. I think I'm going to have to take back my earlier comment about uh, the FOMC being smart. This is <laughs> fantasy economics, isn't it? I mean, how is it? that the Fed thinks it can magically get inflation down on to 2% on the nose, it's its target in, uh, in 2025. They see GDP slowing uh, to 0.2%, but no recession whatsoever. Um, and yet they, they, they do seem to admit that their previous forecast was just hopelessly wrong. And they've got unemployment rising, uh, which is going to put millions out of work at a level that normally does uh, tip the economy into recession. This, to me, this just, just doesn't add up. Yeah, it's definitely an instance of trying to thread the needle here. And I think that unemployment story was really eye-catching to me. So I think um, assuming that you know, the labor market stays at its current size right now, I was looking at projections earlier today, um, a hike in the unemployment rate to that level that the FOMC is expecting would be a loss of at least a million jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that you know has consequences for you know consumer sentiment, consumer spending, which are all these kind of soft factors which also feed into the economy. I think one of the few remaining bright positive areas that we see is actually around private spending, which you know is is why inflation is is so high. Um, but given a relatively tight labor market right now, uh, as well as the fact that households actually have pretty good uh, buffers for wealth uh, over the pandemic, um, consumer spending still looks relatively resilient. Um, mm. But the, the big question is, I mean, is the Fed really going to do everything it can to undermine this resilience? Um, we talked just now about how um, the, you know, the corporate balance sheets are struggling uh, with bad debt coming due. Um, and if we have the global economy slowing with you know exports then slowing, the one bright area of the economic performance would be private spending. Um, mm. And if private spending falls off a cliff, then you know avoiding that recession is going to be much more difficult. And so, I mean, I would agree that um, you know, this idea, the best case next year would be stagnation um, rather than any kind of meaningful growth. And even that could be, as you said, fantasy economics. Yeah. And it's not just uh, corporates, it's governments as well. I mean, the um the Committee uh, for Responsible Budget in the, uh, in the U.S. says um, these rate hikes are going to add another $2.1 trillion to the national debt over the next decade. And interest payments on existing debt is going to triple now from nearly $400 yes. billion to $1.2 trillion. And in fact, the CBOA made that estimate in May uh, before the latest set of interest rate hikes. This is going to be a problem as well, isn't it, for governments not just in the U.S. but around the world? I think so. I, I think just a little bit of humor that I, Walt Disney was perhaps chairing the Fed committee when he put these <laughs> numbers together. Um, and he does have something here called Fantasy Drive in Hong Kong, which is where the, um, the current COVID huts are. That aside, um, I think that you're going to find when interest rates rise, when interest rates are low, the wrong people get rich. When, and that's why we're having, for instance, gold fall because people are massively deleveraging on gold. And yes, the rates will rise, and then they'll have to print more dollars to mm. um, to 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 feed that deficit. So it's all a bit of a mess, basically. 
And thank you to Harold, a listener who's just emailed um, to point out about Australia's central bank. It's reportedly lost uh, $30 billion on the bonds it bought uh, to try and support the country's economy uh, during the pandemic. Presumably this is because of rising interest rates. Those bonds Must are going be. down in value. Must be, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just not, and I mean, it's it's interesting that the yield curve is inverted. Um, although, again, on, from a real perspective, the Fed funds are actually down minus are negative five percent. So there's still quite a way to go if you want to go from the real angle to tighten up the Fed funds rate. But again, I think the price is going to be growth. Like, so she's covered is Paul's inflation. All right, so bring it back to Hong Kong. Obviously, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority mm. is going to react this morning. We're going to see a 75 basis point rate hike here as well. What does this mean for Hong Kong's economy? Higher mortgages, slower mm -hmm. spending, people getting shaky about their unemployment again. Um, so it's not unemployment's not good. held up. Employment's held up pretty well so far here, hasn't it? Yes, but that's because the labor force has expanded. It's the, the employment mm. ratio is is a one I could really fiddle quite well and come up with nice numbers about low unemployment by just expanding the size of the labor force. Nick, what do you think this means for Hong Kong? Are, are we ready for these uh, further rate hikes? Is the economy able to withstand it? I mean, in a short answer. Probably not. Um, and that's mostly just because the economic fundamentals in Hong Kong have eroded to such a degree that we're not really in a ready place for anything, um, much less, you know, a, a rate hike like we're experiencing right now. Um, one of the things that we're also looking at very closely is the effects on emerging markets. So, I mean, you know, a lot of countries have emerged out of the pandemic in really precarious situations. We're seeing debt crises in, you know, areas like countries like Sri Lanka, Pakistan, potentially Laos, Myanmar, uh, Cambodia, um, emerging markets, particularly emerging Asia, just aren't really well positioned for a lot of this. Um, mm -hmm. Because as we talked about in the show, um, the US dollar is now at, you know, a multi-decade high. Um, a lot of central banks are going to have to be forced to tighten their own policy in response to what the Fed is doing, um, just to defend their currencies. Um, this is happening at a time when there's still a lot of fragility in the developing world. And so kind of the wider global repercussions of this are going to be relatively, are going to be pretty wide. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not just what's happening in the US. You know, oh, okay. especially with the weaker renminbi, as you said, it's hit a two-year low because the economic time in China is so awful with an excess supply of goods, mm -hmm. the um, excess demand for money, um, you're going to find that they cannot tighten, otherwise they're going to really crucify themselves, COVID plus higher interest rates. And so I'm looking at a much weaker renminbi going forward. That's going to fan mm -hmm. imported inflation, ta-da, in, in we go with, with stagflation in China. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's Personal Wealth Advisor, NGO Von Fahl, Nick Marrow, Lead for Global Trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25. On the phone from Taipei is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Good morning. Well, the other big development today that's also has had an impact on markets is uh, Ukraine. President Vladimir Putin threatening to escalate the conflict by holding referendums on annexation in the Donetsk and Luhansk uh, regions. Um, he's also uh, mobilized, partially mobilized uh, forces in, in Russia. And he's talking about uh, using all the means at his disposal to protect Russia, um, which is uh, which has been taken as a threat to use nuclear weapons. This is really um, escalating quite rapidly. It's been portrayed in the West as a sign of weakness and Vladimir Putin losing the war. Is that a correct assessment or not? 
Well, uh, obviously, Russia has had some serious setbacks on the battlefield, especially in Ukraine's northeast. Uh, the, the West has not always gotten it right. When I say the West, I mean you know, pundits, uh, media, even governments. Uh, you know, the, the war has, has largely turned into a war of attrition over the past few months, but Russia had, up until recently, held a significant amount of territory. I, I think the, these moves by Putin, you know, absent uh, another lightning uh, military uh, success campaign uh, by Ukraine it means we should be prepared for a prolonged conflict, uh, or, or at a minimum, it looks like that there's still really no space for either Ukraine or Russia to have talks and, and reach some kind of ceasefire, let alone a long-term settlement. And, and you know, that that's just not part of the conversation right now. Notwithstanding uh, this prisoner exchange that was in the news a few within the last few hours, but you know, as far as some kind of negotiated truce, let alone a long-term. Uh, settlement that just doesn't seem to be uh, on the table at the moment. So this is a major escalation and it's presumably going to have um, some major repercussions for the global economy and potentially for financial markets as well. The interesting thing about the economy side is whether or not certain countries like China, like India, that have continued to trade and and specifically to purchase resources from Russia will continue to do so. There seem to be some movement, at least from India, which has been under enormous pressure and criticism uh, from Western countries because of India's policy, its refusal to condemn Russia and and continuing to do business. So it's it's out of step with the other uh, democracies, obviously. Uh, it, it seems like there's some small moves from India on that uh, at the SCO meeting. It seemed like Modi was a little critical of, of Putin. Uh, there, there is some news in recent days about uh, some te- potential uh, progress, at least bilaterally, with the U.S. and India on energy-related issues. Uh, but, but it doesn't seem that Modi's quite there yet to make that big break with Russia, uh, but, but it could be. And then and obviously there would be some significant economic ramifications if, if India did decide to stop buying uh, Russian energy. And what about China? Does this put pressure on President Xi's relationship with Vladimir Putin? It was revealed uh, last week at the summit in Samarkand by President Putin himself uh, that China does have concerns over this, this potential threat to use nuclear weapons to annex uh, part of Ukraine. This is presumably must be worrying for China as well. Uh, this uh, term, uh, China's concern, uh, it seems to have gotten a lot of play in, in coverage of, of their meeting. Uh, but, but I would say that this is kind of how China reacts to any crisis around the world. So, you know, we're really concerned about it, but it, it's just not been uh, China's uh, approach uh, in this crisis or any other to really get involved and to be the negotiator that tries to get in the middle of uh, uh, two parties to a dispute, uh, let alone in a war. Uh, so I, I think that one's been a little bit overplayed. And, and frankly, uh, Xi Jinping and China, they're, they're going to continue their policy, which really obviously has been to continue to be a friend to Russia. OK, Ross, thank you very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold. Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, first of all, just a reminder that Australian markets are closed. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.9%. Cosby in South Korea, down 1%. Futures markets pointing to losses of 350 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more business and finance updates. 
Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Janice Wong and Jenny Lamb. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine. The maximum temperature will be around 32 degrees. Sunny periods in the next couple of days, a bit windy during the weekend and then a few showers early next week. The temperature right now is 27 degrees and it's 76% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.31. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. President Biden has urged the world to come together in opposition to Russia's war with Ukraine and President Putin's veiled threat to use nuclear weapons. Addressing the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Mr. Biden said no one had sought conflict apart from Moscow. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Mr. Biden was speaking hours after Vladimir Putin ordered the mobilization of 300,000 Russian reservists. The move follows recent battlefield setbacks in Ukraine and comes a day after occupied areas in Ukraine announced snap referendums on joining Russia. The, U, the Attorney General of the New York State, uh, sorry, the Attorney General of New York State has filed a civil suit against Donald Trump and three of his adult children, accusing them of fraud. Letitia James said the former U.S. president's business, the Trump Organization, repeatedly overstated asset valuations and inflated his net worth to secure favorable loans. Ms. James said she's seeking 250 million U.S. dollars in penalties and a ban on the Trumps running businesses in New York. Here's the BBC's Sarah Smith. Claiming you have money you do not have is not the art of the deal, said New York Attorney General Letitia James. It is the art of the steal. She has filed a complaint against Donald Trump, as well as Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump and Eric Trump, accusing them of inflating the former president's net worth by billions of dollars. The case filed today is a civil suit, which could not result in any jail sentences. But Ms James says she believes she has evidence several state and federal criminal laws have also been violated. The U.S. Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point as it seeks to rein in inflation. U.S. interest rates are now at their highest in nearly 15 years, and the Fed has signaled that further rises are likely. The BBC's Michelle Fleury has more. This is the fifth time the U.S. central bank has raised interest rates since March in response to prices that have been rising at their fastest pace in four decades. The move comes despite warnings that the cost of controlling inflation could be a harsh economic downturn. Along with a large rate increase, Federal Reserve policymakers signaled their intention to continue hiking next year. By raising interest rates, America's central bank is making it more expensive to borrow money in the hopes that people will spend less, easing the upward pressure on prices. The danger is, if they go too far, it could choke economic growth and cause a spike in joblessness. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. Today, we're looking at whether sport events are making a comeback in Hong Kong. The SAR football team played a friendly against Myanmar at Mong Kok Stadium last night, the first international match since the COVID outbreak. This comes on the heels of the announcement that the Hong Kong Marathon may well be back on in February, while the Rugby Sevens is set for November. Does all this portend a return of competitive sport to the city following the long disruption caused by COVID? Will this be enough momentum for more sporting events to return to the city? What about local athletes? How will they make up for lost time? After 9.15, are we living on the planet of the ants? A new study has come to the surprising conclusion that for every human on the planet, there are probably two and a half million ants. 